Well, good morning and welcome in to MCC. You guys doing good today? Good, good, good. If we had a chance to meet yet, my name's Trent. I get to be the lead pastor here at MCC. If you're watching online, welcome in, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, we both love you and are so incredibly glad that you're here with us today. You can fill out one of those little things in there to link action and it'll tell the internet that you are here with us and we will connect with you and it'll be awesome. So I can't wait to do that. Hey, I want to invite you to go on an exercise before we dive into God's word this morning. All right, we're going to do a little bit of exercise again. I'm not going to ask you to get up. We're not doing CrossFit this morning. No, no, no real workout. More of a, a mental imagination workout online. I need you to participate in this as well. I want you to go to your peace place. Like the place when you think this is the most peaceful place I've ever experienced on the planet or this is the, pe- the place where I experience peace most consistently. I want you to go to your peace place. I want you to mentally imagine what that place is where you experience peace, whether it's the place you've experienced at the highest level that you wish you could go back to because you had it one time, or it's a place where you go when you just need peace and a break. What is that place for you? Maybe for you online, I'd love to hear, you know, kind of type these things in. Like maybe it's a, it's a beach. Like everybody, everybody, who's done their summer vacation already? Whose peace place is the beach? All right, got a few people around the room. Yeah, that's our peace place. Man, I want to see the white sands. I want to have a drink in the hand, uh, sweet tea. I want to be there at the beach. Come on, guys. Um, yeah, a lake, r- fishing rod in hand. All, all those things, man. Like, that's peace place. Some of you, maybe it's like a, I don't know, a scrapbooking class. Like, you just love cutting stuff out with those scissors that nobody else is allowed to touch. Um, this, they... Over here, they, they have those scissors in their house. Be careful, y'all. Uh, they probably have them in their purse, too. Um, it's a racetrack. I, I, don't, I don't know. What is your, pace, your place of peace? And just close your eyes for a second, and let's just go there, all right? Just go there for a second. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. It's nice. Anybody else want to leave? Go. <laughs> like, it's nice there, all right? Now, a less fun you have a peace place, but you also have an anxiety place, a place that you like, when I'm here, I just, I just kind of want to freak out. Like for, for, for some of you, it's like, uh, you know, goodwill is that, like everything's unorganized, nothing has, like I hate, I'm freaking out. For some of you, if it's your kid's bedroom, you walk in your kid's room and you're just like, nope, and you just close the door and you leave. Like that's an anxiety place. I'm not going in there. Maybe it's work. You know, maybe it's, maybe for one-on-ones for me, like it's the car. Like I get in the car and it's where all the thoughts and everything else, everything gets to play. And then you're in traffic because McDonough. Um, and, and that's just it. And you're just like, oh, this is my anxiety place. So, so you got a peace place, you got an anxiety place. Hopefully you got those two things in mind. There's a big gap between those two places though, right? Today, what we're going to talk about is how not to just be, be, people, be people who experience peace, but also be people who make it. But before we figure out how to make peace, we got to figure out where peace starts and what the true peace place is and how seeing and understanding what happened on a place that didn't look peaceful can lead us to not just be people who have peace, but to be people who make it. So if you got a Bible, I'd invite you to go to Matthew chapter five. We're in this sermon that Jesus preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's referred to as not only the most influential talk on all of Western civilization, but also Jesus' greatest hit. It's, his, it's the best sermon ever. And Jesus starts it out with this collection of attitudes of people who will be blessed by God. He uses blessed are the blank, for they will be blank. And he goes over and over again in this refrain. And what he's talking about here is saying, there is a good life out there, a real good life. And here's how you experience it. And we called this whole series new normal because he says, the normal ways you would think that you would get the good life, 
are not how you're going to actually get the good life. You're going to hear that here as he mentions them. He comes right in, and we'll start in verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And here's our verse for today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, we thank you that you spoke these words. We thank you for allowing Matthew to somehow capture these and, and carry them down and for giving us a place where we can gather together on a day like today to just lean into your word. God, I don't know all the different reasons why people showed up today to kind of be here, whether they're watching online or they're here in person or watching later after the fact. You have us around your table today where your people were gathered here together as your living church, not in a building, but together as your family. And we come today, God, to your word because we believe it and it alone has the truths that point us to the good life that can only be found in Christ. I pray you'd be moving and active in the hearts of the people, God, who, as we get ready to talk about peace, God, they're not at peace with you. I pray you would use, by the power of your Holy Spirit, my words to bring them to that place where they're at peace with you. In your name, amen. All right, so as we get ready to talk about this idea and this concept of peace. I wanna talk to you about biblically what peace is not. I know, because when we think about peace, we think, oh, that's just not having a war, or we think of you know, being on the beach or being in a happy spot or you know, being on the couch with sweatpants on and watching Netflix. When we think peace, we think, oh, you know, just taking a break, sitting in the car. Like, I remember like, Anybody out there, like you work retail and like the most peaceful spot actually became your car. Like you just, I'm on lunch and I'm just gonna go sit in the car. No, I don't wanna eat with my coworkers. I'm just gonna get in the car, roll the windows up, maybe turn some music on, rock that seat back. I'm just gonna close my eyes for like 13 minutes before I have to go back in and deal with people. You guys are laughing. I think some people have also worked retail. Peace. Peace in the Bible is so much bigger and all-encompassing. It's used by these two words. In the Old Testament, it's this word shalom that's translated in the Hebrew. And we've, maybe you've heard that before. If you have a friend who's Jewish or you know some Jewish people, or you maybe watch a movie or something, you hear this word shalom. And then in the New Testament, the Greek translate this word irene. And when it's talking about this biblical form of peace, it has less to do with stretchy pants and, and sofas, and it has more to do with wholeness with things being as God intended them to be. Uh, literally, it means the essential parts are bound up together and they are connected. Nothing is missing. And so what I want to talk to you about today is kind of playing off of those words where all the essential parts are bound together and nothing is missing because that's our grand narrative. That's the reason we're here today and we're sitting around talking. That's the reason the church exists because at one point there was a God in heaven who said, I miss you, and I wish you were here. I want you to be able to be a part of this family. And, and friend, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're coming from. I don't know where you're thinking, but you were created to be in a relationship with your heavenly father. You're created with a big, giant, more than you could ever imagine purpose. And it's at one point, because of our sin and our mistakes and our failings and our shortcomings, there was an insurmountable chasm between us and that loving heavenly father because of our sin. But there was peace that was made. And I want to show you how that peace 
came into existence, okay? Whiteboard time. I love that you guys are happy for that. I love that I get, today's more artwork than less spelling, so I'm actually excited. Um, you know, that's the problem about when you're preaching on, on TV and it's on video and everything else is like, okay, don't misspell words. Um, at least I don't have to do math up here. That's why I went to Bible college, so I didn't have to do math. All right. Our God is a God of justice and love. He has an immense love for you, but at the same time, he has to be a just God. And listen, trust me, you want a just God. You want a God who keeps his word and does what he says. But you also want a God who's incredibly loving. And our God is both of these things. So there's a, we'll start over here. Justice, all right? Love. Now, I want to talk to you about the place where these two things met. They met at the cross. The cross is this place. And again, we talk about the cross. The cross is, we talk about that at the church a lot. The cross was a Roman tool of torture, fatal torture to the point of death. But what we see at the cross is it is the place where we believe our Savior died and gave his life for us so that we can now be back connected to that family of the God who said, I want shalom to be real. I want Irene peace. Hear me roll that R. I want Irene peace to be real and experienced with my people. I deemed them essential. And I want them in the family. But the only way that can happen and God stay both loving and just is there has to be a perfect payment for the sins that God has kicked out of the family. And at the cross, we see that happen. At the cross, what happens is God's love and justice meet in the middle and form peace. This is the peace sign. I don't know. I think I can draw it. I can't remember. I'm not a, I didn't grow up with flower power, but this is not a peace sign. The cross is the peace sign, the ultimate peace sign. We're reconciliation between a loving father, holy loving father, and us as his children was made possible. Now, this reconciliation, it's a big word that just means God's original order, how he originally wanted, has now been restored. Now, a lot of us have maybe believed a half gospel. And I want to walk through today because if you don't get this aspect, you'll, you'll maybe understand what it means to be at peace with God, but you'll never get what Jesus was talking about when he said, you're going to live an bl- incredibly, blow your mind, blessed life when you actually begin to be a peacemaker. And both of them are on display on the cross, okay? So God's love and justice meet. That's where peace happens. Now, there's reconciliation that happens this way, which is called vertical. Vertical rec- restoration between God up here. Oh, that's supposed to be a D. See, again, man, I stink at spelling. And then us. So between broken, messed up humans and a holy God, now we're reconciled. Now, through the cross, through Jesus, through the faith that we put in the cross, we can have that connection. We can talk to God and he hears us. We can cry out and he hears us. And at some point, when us ends down here, we go all the way up and we're now back in perfect union. Again, we're broken in union here because we still live in a broken, fallen, messed up world. But one day we will be with him, all things new, connected. That's reconciliation here. But the cross is not just a vertical reconciliation. We follow and we believe in a cross-shaped gospel that says while we are both connected and reconciled back to God as humans, as individuals, we are also reconciled us to us. 
person to person. And what that means is, now that I'm connected to God, and this connection line here is essentially the jumper cables between me and the Holy Spirit, now we're connected. I don't know what that is. Um, Sorry. It's all good. Now we're connected. And by the empowering Holy Spirit that's inside of us here, now we can go out and live as people who actually reconcile humans to other humans. And again, it's only because we're connected here at the point of the cross. Through the Holy Spirit, we can actually be people who reconcile others. That's why we say we, we, we believe in a cross-shaped gospel, that we have been reconciled to God, and now we live to reconcile ourselves to each other, and primarily a lost and broken and messed up world to a God that they don't maybe even realize they're at odds with. That's our purpose and that's our calling. Now, most of us, we've probably had tendencies and times in our life where we've just left this whole part of the gospel out. We just I'm at peace with God. Everybody else, good luck. That's what I'm saying, it's a half gospel. And today, we're gonna, we're gonna put that cross beam back out. There's a reason that the cross looked the way it did. There's a reason that hands were east to west. For Jesus to say, I want the whole wide world in the family. And I want to use you people to make it happen. Which is mind-boggling. So, like I said, that's what we're going to dive into. Before we get into all that, before we get into what it means to be a peacemaker, I have to have, have you understand, like, what in the world is peace? And how has peace happened in our lives? We live a cross-shaped gospel. So, from there, we got what peace is and what's happened there. Cool. All right. Let's talk about what it means to be a peacemaker. If you're taking notes, write this down. A peacemaker is one who takes responsibility. Takes responsibility for reconciling broken relationships. And the broken relationship of all broken relationships is a broken relationship between a loving, caring, heavenly father and his children. That is the primary one. And so what we, when we are peacemakers, that means we take responsibility and that word, we have a lot of trouble with that in our day and age. Take responsibility to be people who reconcile broken relationships. Now, the problem in this is, is when we go after being people who have been reconciled to God, and then we want to give it out, the problem is a lot of us have trouble giving it out because we don't really have it in here. And this is where I've made this point again, and I, I, it's no more prevalent than here in this, from the sixth beatitude here to the seventh beatitude. If you remember what we talked about last week, we dove into this beatitude where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the point that we've made out of all of these is the only way you can get to the next one, they go in ascending order. And the way you get to the next one is by taking the momentum that you got from the one before it. And so if we ever want to understand how in the world can I be someone who makes peace and be a peacemaker and be called a son of God, the only way you get there is first and foremost through being someone who is pure at heart. Because a pure heart is the only thing that leads to being at peace with God. A pure heart paves the way for peace. I want to show you a couple of Bible verses that uh, I think illustrate this really, really well. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can look at it. If not, it's going to be on the screens. James 3.17. James was a brother of Jesus, which I don't know what your brother would have to do for you to believe that he's God, but somehow James got there. So I'm guessing it's pretty good count that Jesus really is who he says he was. Because like I said, I don't know what your brother would have to do for you to be like, yeah, he's God. 
but it'd probably be rise from the dead for me. Like my, if you ask my sister, she'd probably go, yeah, he'd probably have to die and rise again. And then I'd believe he's God. So pretty amazing that James is saying this. James 3.17, he says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace-loving. Again, these Beatitudes, if you go back and you look at, um, I think, verse 8, and then where we're at, verse 9, it says, first, pure of heart, you'll see God. Next, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. James elaborates this even more in James 4.1. Listen to this. I love this verse. He asked a rhetorical question, just like his brother used to do when he was uh, walking around in Galilee. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Which is a good question for us. Like, what, what's causing this? Like, 2020 and 2021 was a lot of fights and a lot of quarrels. Can we all agree on that? Over everything. Politics, race, COVID. I mean, you name it, we're going to fight about it. He said, what causes this among you? And I love what he says. They come from the media. They come from Democrats. They come from Republicans. They come from BLM activists. They come from Trump supporters. They come from Blue Lives Matter. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, you want to know where the fights and quarrels come from? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He did not say around you. He said within you. So much of the peace and unrest and conflict and, and chaos that we see around us is because of what's going on inside of us, which goes back to the beatitude before. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, whose hearts are pure. And again, if you remember what we talked about last week, when we talk about purity, we're not talking about like it's just really shiny and polished up and it's, it's really golden looking and shiny. When we talked about purity, Bible's definition of purity is whole, one, not fractured out, not divided. And what's fascinating, what you're gonna see here is the Bible's definition for purity and peace are very, very similar. It's as if Jesus in his infinite wisdom and knowledge wanted us to understand that these things are so similar that actually one leads to the other. Purity leads to this peace. And if you look at these two Beatitudes, the way I would simply put, and you can write this down, take notes, take a picture of the screens, whatever you gotta do. Purity precedes peace. We see this in the Beatitudes and we see this in real life. A lot of times we want to talk about peace. Everybody talks about, oh, I just want rest. I just want to be happy. I just want some peace. Nobody really leans into the reality though that purity is what paves the way. And the other side, you know, if you go to the promises of those two Beatitudes, if the pure in heart are the ones that see God, then that means that seeing God for who he is, locking eyes and going, God, okay, I see what you are doing and who you are. And now I see you. That precedes me being seen as a child of God. And everything, the world around you is never going to look at you and go, that's one of God's kids. If you have not first seen him, seen who he is, understood that. And the only way that happens is first and foremost, through a pure, undivided heart. Now, what that means is the more we pursue purity, the more we will experience peace. I'll say that again. Not the more we pursue money, the more money we get, not the more we get a relationship, not the more we get this house and this neighborhood, not the more likes, not the more attention we get, not the more popularity, not when we get invited to sit at the cool kids table next year at school, not those things. He says, when you pursue purity and your heart is pure, it's undivided, it's solely seeking after me, it's cleansed, then you're gonna be at a place where you're not only gonna experience peace, you're gonna become a peacemaker. And the opposite of that is unfortunately true. Um, we, we, we live in a day and age where I feel like, and for good reasons too, we talk about anxiety 
probably more than any generation ever. Like it's all over the place. Do, I mean, you could Google, Google search anxiety and more, more results are gonna come up than, than ever before. You can be at, you can walk through a high school, go eat lunch in a high school cafeteria and you'll hear the word on multiple occasions. You can scroll through a Facebook feed, scroll through a Twitter feed, look through Instagram and you are gonna hear somebody mentioning the word anxiety. And we talk a lot about anxiety. But I have not heard anybody and I'm not pretending to be the one because I didn't know it until I see it, saw it in God's word. I haven't heard anybody yet make the connection between anxiety and purity. And make the connection between a lack of purity and a lack of peace. Again, this whole purpose and this whole definition of peace is this wholeness and the essential parts are bound together. And when we talk about anxiety, we get the world's definition, we get a clinical definition, and we get prescriptions for it. But what I want to try to do is not to give you necessarily a prescription for anxiety, but I want to give you the Bible's definition of that word anxiety, where, where it originates and where, where God says, hey, here's what anxiety really is. And actually the clues to overcoming it and to working through it and, and letting me bring you victory out of it is actually found by not the understanding that Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or whatever blog post or article or whoever says about it, but it's actually coming to my word and, and seeking that truth. The Bible, when it translates this word anxiety, it translates it by this Greek word, marimna. Marimna. And I love the definition. Marimna is divided and fractured into parts. That's what it means. And we talked about this last week. And again, this is where these fit hand in glove when we were talking about purity and feeling like, oh man, I'm just all, and I, I watched heads nod. I watched people wipe tears from their eyes when we talked about how this year and maybe just this season of life that we sometimes can find ourselves in, we find ourselves going, I, I'm all over the place. I, I, I just spread so thin. And that's anxiety. It, that's, that's the root. That's the biblical definition is I am fractured out. I am blown up. I'm in a bunch of different places. The reality is, is you're not spread thin. You're fractured. It's not a thin spreading. It's all, it's, it's brokenness. That's why God says, if you'll pursue purity, if you have one heart desire, not to impress them, not to make this, not to this. If you have one heart desire to see God, to savor who he is, to magnify him with everything that you do, you will watch peace reign in your life. And that's where Jesus says, like, this is, the, this is me flipping everything on its head and saying this is the way that actually leads to this kind of life. Now, that's peace. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. That's what keeps us from doing that is we want all these other things. We live in the most, um, Jessica and I watched a show called Alone. And it's basically where they send these people out into the uh, Alaskan wilderness and they have to survive just on their own by themselves. They give them, they can take like 10 things with them and they just live. And the guy last night was talking about, they were interviewing one person who had tapped out and he was back and he was getting back into normal society. And I'll never forget one of the things he said. He said, it's so hard coming back into society because I had no idea how overstimulated I was and how at peace I was when it was just me and the woods. And I, don't, I think that's what's crazy is like teenagers in the room, let me just talk to you for a second. Like you have no idea how overstimulated you are right now. It's crazy. And so I don't, I don't know what the solution is. I'm not gonna be the guy who gets up and just says you unplug, log off, cancel, all that type of stuff. Like find your own, like 
I would say that is wise, but like we have no idea. And so we can either, we either just keep going in that direction and keep watching the anxiety spike and, 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 and middle school after middle school and high school after high school or uh, committing suicide because they can't handle the pressure and they can't handle the weight of it. We see marriage is broken, see all this stuff. Or we can kind of go, hey man, like maybe something's off. And maybe we need to do something different. So if we can gather all that, then we go, okay, that's peace. That's why I don't have it. The Bible says that blessed are those who are peacemakers. If I can grasp a hold of the peace that's been made in my life, now I'm at peace with God. How can I go be someone who lives and makes peace between God and other people? That's primarily where it starts. God didn't send Jesus through what he sent Jesus through so that you could just be like, oh, okay, cool. Um, Let me know when you're coming back. You got a, you got a purpose, you got a call on your life. And there's no better place we're gonna camp out in this verse. So if you have a real Bible, if you have a phone Bible, if you've been looking at it online or whatever, pull this up. I don't wanna walk through this word by word with you because there's no greater plea and cry that Jesus gives to those people who are like me sometimes. Like maybe you can relate to this. You're just like, God, just tell me what to do. All right? Let's just make it simple. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Just tell me what to do. Right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. We're going to walk through this word by word. If you're an underliner, you got a pen, do some of that right here. Paul's talking to a church that had a lot in common with us, an overstimulated society where he was trying to launch a church full of people like me and you. And this is what he says to them. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, which is like record screech what are we talking he says from now on we don't look at anybody from a worldly point of view which to us he's saying again he's talking to christians he's talking who believe in christ he's saying once you put your faith your trust your hope in christ you begin to look at people differently you don't see people by the color of their skin how much money they make what car they drive whether or not they're hot or not you don't see people through that when you look at people he says we don't regard them from a worldly point of view anymore he says when we look at people we look at them with a heavenly point of view that realizes they are a real eternal soul that will spend an eternity somewhere heaven or hell and what happens here determines that so he says we don't we don't look at people from a worldly point of view anymore So if you're going to follow Christ, okay, again, what do I do? We don't look at people from a worldly point of view. We see them as souls. People we agree with, disagree with, see them as souls. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, they didn't understand who Christ was. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. All right, so if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You may not feel like it, but you are. You are a new creation. He says the old has gone, not the old is in, uh, what's it called when you have uh, something and it's dormant? Is that what it's called? When like you have a disease, but it's not coming out? Dormant, yeah, I was right, cool. Vocabulary. The old isn't dormant, it's gone. It's never coming back. The old is gone. Then he says this, I love these words. The new is here. You need to hear that. And I love like, I I didn't give it justice. It really should read like this. The old is gone, the new is here. There's an exclamation point on that verse. Paul's emphasizing that the new is here. And I think he's emphasizing it because he was talking to a group of people who were saved. But like before they, and they have, again, they have very similarities with our society. To the church in Corinth, sex was their God. They, would, they, would go, they had temple prostitutes in Corinth. He's saying, 
Hello, the new is here. Stop. News here. As it, like, like they were thinking, oh, well, we got it. Okay, well, we'll read our Bibles for like seven weeks in a row and then we can kick going to the temple prostitutes or, or we can maybe not sit. Like Paul's going, no, 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 no. News here. News here. It's in you. He didn't say news coming. He didn't say one day you'll get new. He said the news here. It's here. Verse 18. All this, all the fact that you are now something new is from God. Who reconciled? Again, that's the cross thing. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. How did he do that? How did he reconcile us to himself? He did it through Christ, through the cross. That's the only way you could get reconciled to God was through God going to a cross for you. That's the only way you couldn't have worked, you couldn't have prayed, you couldn't have fasted. You had to go through Jesus to himself. Reconciled us to himself through Christ. And I love this. Gave us. You were not just given forgiveness, but here's what I love about this God that we serve. He has given us a job to do. He says he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what in the world does that mean? Okay, this is what it means to be a peacemaker. It means now we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Now, I know you may look at me like I'm a minister. I'm not a minister. Well, I am, but so are you. We are, like, if you are in Christ, you, Paul says, and again, let me walk you through some of the, the philosophy of this. Why would God send his son to the cross to go through what he went through, to bring you into a relationship with him, what it cost his son? Why would he not then, get, okay, like, you're on the hook. I need you to do so. Like, why would I let my son go through this to not expect something in return from you? Like, this is a blood-bought peace treaty, and you have an end of it. We have an end of it, and it's to be ministers of reconciliation. Reconciling who? What are we talking about there? Reconciling a lost and broken world to a father who loves them. Now, what's fascinating, flabbergasting about this is God, he could have done it in a hundred million different ways. Like, God, like, there's a story in the Bible of Jesus walking, you know, coming into town, and the Pharisees are getting ticked at him because everybody's just going bonkers because, like, Jesus is here, what? They're going crazy, and, and Jesus' um, haters, the Pharisees, they're like, Jesus, you better tell your disciples to hush. And he says, boy, shoot, if they are quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. Which, again, if Jesus can make rocks testify, minister, and glorify him, like I said, he could do a million different ways to lead people into a relationship with his father. You know what he chooses? You, me, us, broken, jacked up, weird humans. Didn't send angels. Angels could have done it a whole lot faster. Every time an angel showed up in the Bible, the people were like, yes, sir, yes, sir, whatever. I got, I'll do whatever you ask. But God sends us. Because one of the things I found is true, man. People relate to our brokenness in a way that leads them to Christ, leads them to Christ way more than they do our perceived attempts at righteousness. And so he takes our brokenness and he turns it into stories. He takes our mess and he turns it into a message. And that's how he uses us, you, every, everybody right now. And this may be hard for you to grasp. Even the sin that you're struggling with right now is a part of your ministry of reconciliation from a lost, broken, other sinner into their savior Christ. That's what you've been called into, to be a people who makes peace like that. I could talk all day about this, but we gotta go. Verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself. Underline world. Again, I have time to camp out on this a whole long time, but if God is saying, I'm gonna reconcile the whole entire world to myself, wouldn't he use as much of the world as in humans that he possibly could to do that? And so that's you. 
He doesn't say, I'm reconciling the world to myself, so I want to get about a dozen really good pastors to do the job for me. He says, I'm going to reconcile the world to me, so I need the world and everybody available, all hands on deck, to make this happen. There are rooms, office spaces, there are places that I could never get into that you're already in. You've got the little badge thing on your belt buckle. Some of you fellows, you know, you get the little thing you put on that key fob. I couldn't get in. I, I don't even have a clergy card. Like, best I could do is like, I work here. Here's the website picture of me. Like, but you're already in the office. You're already there. You already got clearance. That's the part of the world he wants you to be a minister of reconciliation. In your home, where you work, where you play. That's where you go be a minister of reconciliation. And, and some of it, like this is what I love about how the world is changing post-COVID. Online people, you can use the whole wide world online to be a minister of reconciliation. I think that's cool. It's awesome. I can't wait to see what God does in and through that. Let's keep going. Whole world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. All right? So that goes to us. If we're going to be peacemakers, he says, God reconciled the whole world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, which means, hello, you can't either. You can't go, okay, well, that person has more sins, so they'd be uh, harder to reconcile, so I'm going to choose a person with less sins, or my perception, and go try to reconcile them. He says, you can't count their sins against them because I didn't count my sins against you. The only person who I counted my sins against was my son on the cross. So nobody has permission to do that to another person. He says, and he, Jesus, has committed us to the message of reconciliation, which Paul's right there. Those were a message of reconciliation. What is the message of reconciliation? The gospel. John 3, to put it in one verse, John 3, 16, that God so loved the entire world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the message of reconciliation, the good news of the gospel. That's what we go out and take. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, which means like you're the one who's the spokesman. You're the one who's leading the charge here on earth. We're his ambassadors as though, this is crazy part and scary, terrifying, honestly, as though God were making his appeal through us. It's summertime, guys. Everybody's trying to become more appealing. And we've all been to a beach where we have seen things that are not appealing. They're terrifying. Like we've been there. We've all been there. You're like, you can't unsee things. Here, here, yeah. here, here's my question. If he says he's making his appeal through us, that means he's looking to us to make a life in Christ seem appealing. And my question to you is, is if I looked at your life or somebody looked at your life for seven days straight, would Christ seem appealing? Would they, would they see what you do? Would they see how you spend money? Would they see how you talk to people? Would they see what you post? Would they see what you look at? Would they see what you eat? Would they see all of those things and go, Christ is appealing by the way they live? And here's what you need to know. He already has said, it is God making his appeal. Like what God, God's not going back on his plan. He's already said, I'm choosing you. Come hell or high water, I'm choosing you to make my appeal to lost, broken sinners. And so we can either kind of go cross arm or go crazy like the rest of the world, or we can pony up and say, all right, I want to see what that life is like. 
I want want to be someone who allows the gospel to work through my life because he says that's actually the place of peace. Not trying to climb the corporate ladder, not trying to get rich quick, not trying to get them to notice me. This is actually where peace is. All right. What do you have to lose? He says, your ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says, God made him who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know any sin, didn't have any of it. To become sin, our sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And this goes back to that verse, the other beatitude, blessed are, are, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. He says, when you become a minister of reconciliation, what will happen there is that we're becoming the righteousness of God in that we are people who make things right between people who are at odds with God. That we are everything we do, day in, weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all those days, we make people experience what it means to be right with God. And I love how our church is doing something that very few, in my opinion, that I've been, I've spent experience at different churches, we are doing something that doesn't happen in a lot of places. What we do when we gather is I've seen us on multiple occasions, events, everything, and seen in our community groups, not just on our Sunday gatherings. We are showing to a world that's actually possible for people who the world would put at odds. Say, those people vote that way, those people vote that way. They shouldn't hang out on Sunday. Those people look like that, they look like that, they shouldn't hang out on Sunday. Those people voted for him, they didn't, they shouldn't hang out on Sunday. Those people wear masks, they don't, they shouldn't hang out on Sunday. We're proving the world wrong. That no, actually it is possible. It was one of the really hardest things ever to do to lead a diverse church through COVID because half of you wanted this, half of you, I felt like I was Goldilocks, like, you know, so it's like, you know, this chair is too big, this chair is too heavy, this chair is too, like, I didn't know, I, I tried to be middle bear as much as I could, but we didn't, we didn't get it right every time. But what's beautiful is we had this event on Friday night called Bike Night, and it wasn't like Harley's, it was uh, little kids. Um, <laughs> It was probably just as much carnage though. It was a lot of wrecks, a lot of wrecks. Um, and I remember like my favorite thing about the event was not that none of my kids got road rash. My favorite thing about the event was just looking around and going, I think heaven's gonna look like this. White, black, Hispanic, Asian, I mean, everything, you name it. And not just race, like some of the richest people in McDonough, there. And a homeless guy, there. His sleeping bag rolled up under one of the benches. Everything, old, young, everything. We're, we're beginning to be a church that gets it. And I like, if there's any hope that we have of reconciling lost sinners to God, it's us seeing that no, it's possible for God's children, his church to actually live like they're reconciled to each other. They get along. I love this quote. I wanted to read it to you guys. I found this week and I, I hope it encourages us to, con- to not stop, to continue, to not let it just be something where we're diverse in here, but we're diverse in homes, we're diverse in groups, we're diverse, we're, we're, everything there looks like the kingdom of heaven. A guy, Scott McKnight, wrote about this, and he said, the church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing ones alike and different to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. Again, there's our word, a new kind of family. This isn't like any family, it's a new kind of family. He says, when this happens, we show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed to be by God. I love this last line. The church is God's show and tell for the world to see how God wants us to live as family. It's beautiful. So let's end with this.
I got five ways I think we can practically live out as peacemakers. I'll walk you through these as we wrap up today. They're gonna be quick. Like at the end of the day, if you understand peace, if you understand the call in your life, we, we don't have to get to this place where we go, all right, well, walk me through what I need to do now. Like here's just some practical tips. If you're gonna go be a peacemaker between primarily God and other people, and even practically speaking, like God is recon- wants you to reconcile both the lost to Christ, but also found people to found people. Anybody ever been hurt or, or been in a big disagreement with somebody at church? Anybody ever feel like you've been crucified by a Christian? Yeah, I've been there. We've, been, we've experienced that. Church hurt has kept some of us out of church for a long time. I wanna walk us through five practices of peacemaking. First one is this, you knew it was coming. Look to Jesus. The cross for us guys, the cross is not just the source of new life for us, it is also the pattern of new life for us. So we can't say we follow Christ, the one who made peace with us and not expect that when we make peace with other people, we may not have to go through some things. Again, you're not necessarily gonna have to get crucified for somebody, but you may have to go through some carry your cross moments where it is painful. That's why the Bible says in Isaiah 53, five, he says, we were, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The, here it is, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And so we can't be naive enough to think that we're just gonna go out and be peacemakers and everybody's just gonna give us warm fuzzies all the time. We may have to go through some of what Christ went through. We may have to do like he did and lay down our rights. If Jesus had on, held on to his rights, I would be doomed for hell and so would you but he let go of his rights. He said, I'm gonna do what I have to do to make it right. The second thing is you have to reveal the problem. Like if you're gonna make peace, you have to actually say there's a problem. There's something that's causing contention. There's a a fork in the road, there's a divide, there's a wedge, something's coming in between us. And practically speaking for our relationships with other Christians or other believers or even people at work, but it's just like in general stuff, the only way you get to a place where you're beginning to make peace is you have to say, hey, like something hurt me. I'm I'm offended here or something's upsetting me because being a peacemaker does not mean being a pushover. Being a peacemaker does not mean being a peacekeeper. It doesn't mean sweeping things under the rug. It means you go after those things and you reveal the problem. There's a verse I wanna show you. I I love it. It's Jeremiah 6, 14, Old Testament stuff here. God's uh, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah and what was going on in the context of when he spoke this is there was all these other false prophets around and Jeremiah was a true one sent by God and these other false prophets were doing like some false prophets do today. They're going around and telling everybody, God loves you, he's okay with you, he just accepts you as you are and you just, you know, just continue to come and tithe and give the money and help me buy my jet and God's gonna continue to love you and everything else and they never told people about God's justice. They never told anybody about God is gonna require you to take up your cross and follow him. He's gonna require you to to repent and to turn away from those sins because he hates those. Not because he wants you to just be good, but because he realizes what his son went through and the good that he wants to offer you. And so these false prophets were just telling everybody, hey, everything's okay. And he, he calls them out. He says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious, which is what so many, so many people are doing with God's word. They just dress the wounds. Hey, it's not so serious. It's not a big deal. God's okay with that. He's cool. No, he's not. Like God does love you, but God's also holy. And, 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 and it's not from a place of I want to judge you, I want to beat you up, I want to pound you over the head, but he's going like, I don't want you to miss out on what's best. And he says, they're, they're dressing the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. One of the things I've had to learn is like a conflict avoided 
is usually just a conflict that's postponed. <laughs> like it's still gonna come. Like you're gonna have, like I, that's one of the things I'm, I, that's one of the things I'm trying to learn is like just deal with it early. Just move towards it, which leads us to, to the next one is settle sooner. And when I talk about settle, I'm not talking about like just give in, just okay, whatever, you do what you want. Like I'm talking about settle it. Like it is settled. And so many times we just wanna win things. Like when we're at odds with somebody, I wanna win it. You have to come to realities. Like we're gonna, we're gonna probably have to settle. And I, the point I would push here is if we wanna be true peacemakers, we have to move towards it to settle sooner, to go after it. And I would ask a question to, to you in your relationships that you have, specifically for the married people in the room. Walk me through this. Walk me, think about, and this would be hard for some of you who've been married a long ways. When you first got married, how long did it take for you guys to navigate through like an argument? Like how many days would you maybe go without talking? Some of you are like, days, weeks? Like how long would it, would it take for you guys to resolve and to come to that place where like she hurt me and you got through like the whole stone cold shoulder thing like, mm, you know, and you roll into bed and you turn those covers over real hard and you're just slamming them down and you better not let your feet touch mine. Um, and you look out of the room and you say, oh, I'm going out there. Like, just unloading the dishwasher so hard, man. Just, just clank, things are going around. Um, how long did it usually take when you first got married? And is it longer or shorter now? If it's shorter, I think that's a great thing. You've learned how to settle sooner. Now listen, I know marriage, you, man, you go through seasons. You may go through seasons where it takes a little longer because we got some stuff going on. Maybe you go through seasons where it's short, man. We're quick to get over things. We're quick, like marriage, and this is not marriage, this is parenting, this is with our kids. This is just a relationship stuff in general. If we wanna have peacemaker hearts, we've gotta be at a race to settle. Even if you, like, and again, we all know the scales. Like sometimes you have an argument, like it's 99% their fault. I may have did 1% wrong, but it's 99%. Regardless if, it's 90, if you're the 99% did it wrong or you're the 1% did it wrong person. Peacemakers go, there's no peace right now. And I'm not cool with that. Let's settle. If I have to apologize for my tiny one, I'm like fishing, like really fishing to find that 1%. Fine, who cares? Go, pursue it, run after it and go sooner. Number four one, I would say practice in peacemaking. Is prepare for a long journey, a long journey. Some of you have been in this. Some of you got a prodigal who you're not at peace with. Some of you got a uh, ex-husband or ex-wife. Prepare for a long journey because Jesus prepared for a long one with us to make peace. Ephesians uh, 2.13 says this. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once there's our word, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It was a long journey from Jesus to get where he was to the cross. Long journey. But he went there to make peace with you. And if you're going to be a peacemaker, you're going to have to be willing to go on some long journeys sometime. You're going to have to be willing to walk in what you feel like is just a big, fat circle. Oh. <laughs> How many of you have had the same argument with somebody like at least 17 times? Like, yeah, right, we've all been there. Like, you prepare for a long journey. Pack a lunch. That's almost what I labeled this point. Pack a lunch. It's gonna take a while. But keep moving. But you gotta be prepared for that. Fifth one is this. Practices of peacemaking. Number five, take steps towards peace. You can be all prepared but if you don't start taking some steps, it ain't ever gonna happen. You gotta take a step. 
You gotta, you gotta get some courage. You gotta move towards it. You gotta have that conversation. You gotta set that lunch meeting. You've got to take the step towards peace. I love this verse. It's one of my absolute favorites. I'm on a bracelet. I preached this verse the day my dad was killed. And I've, uh, that's why it's really hard for me to even talk through some of these things because I have some stuff even in my own heart that man, like I don't wanna be someone who makes peace. I, I wanna be someone who gets even. And so you come to a verse like this and you, you know this is gonna be a long journey. You know this reconciliation is hard. You know it's gonna be difficult. And what I would remind us, if we're gonna take steps towards peace, what it oftentimes is gonna mean is we're gonna to have to step over injustices that's been done to us. We're gonna to have to say, hey, I know you did this wrong to me. I know this feels like this big, you know, giant log that fell out of your eye that's here in front of us. I'm gonna step over this injustice because I know at the end of the day, it was a sin. Jesus paid for all of those. I'm willing to step over this injustice and step towards this, which is kind of counter. Like I want us to be people who redeem the phrase, I'm putting my foot down. With Romans 16, 20. Romans 16, 20 says, for the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. What if we were people who like, okay, I'm gonna put my foot down but I'm gonna put my foot down to move towards reconciliation. And I love the promise here that, that, that Paul gives us, that when we take steps towards reconciliation, we are doing the exact same step that Jesus did on the cross. When he dealt the final death blow to Satan there on the cross and said, death is murdered. Now we continue as this you know, snake with this. Here's what's crazy. Did you guys know that snakes, there's a crazy article about this rattlesnake in Texas. This guy cut it off and it still bit him like four times on a hand, even though he had cut the snake in half. A, 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 a snake with a fatal wound can still fatally wound you. And this snake, our enemy, is still biting a lot of people. But he says, when you move forward, when you put your foot down in the good way, like I'm putting my foot down I'm not letting there be enmity between me and you because my God made there no enmity between me and him. So I've got to go towards this. I'm putting my foot down. And every step that I take, it's me moving towards reconciliation because God has reconciled me to him. He says, when you do that, when you move towards peace, you're identified as a peacemaker, have the pure heart that's put in you, you now begin to live a peaceful life that makes peace with other people. You will be called sons of God. I love that. Be called daughters of God. And you may be asked, like, by who? Who will call me a son of God? Two people. Your father God, first and foremost. There's not, like as a dad, I love when my kid does creative his own things. I, I love when my kids hit, do good, are athletic, whatever. What I love the most, I do feel like there, I do have some redeemable qualities of my character. Things I hope I'm able to put on display. Nothing makes me more prouder as a father than when I see the good qualities of my character played out in one of my children. They could hit 17 home runs. They could, Ezra could have, be able to read and write at three years old. I, like I couldn't even spell God right. Like <laughs> I'm not expecting, like I, I, that doesn't get me fired up. But when I see Titus quick to forgive his brother, whew, that's my son. And that's when we, when we become peacemakers, that's what you gotta hear. God over us going, that's my boy. There you go. That's my boy. That's my, that's my baby girl. Way to go. 
He hurt you. He left you. He abandoned you. But you've realized that forgiveness is actually healing you. That's my girl. Move towards that forgiveness. That's my girl. And then, hopefully as we hear him saying that, as we move towards peace, the world says it as well. I go, Whew, they must be God's kids. And we watch this happen on the cross. And this is where, this is where all this, I believe, comes from. It, how, how crazy is this? I want to show you this verse. We're going to end with this. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. The sermon that initiated his mantra, his kind of rally cry, like who he was, what he was doing, everything about who he was, started at this. So he said all these things are in the Sermon on the We're going to unpack all of it. He said those things, and then him living those things out while he was on earth got his butt killed. And as he's there on the cross, listen to what happens. Again, the same Jesus who said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Listen to what happens in Matthew 27, 54. He's on the cross, bloody, whipped, beaten, as close to death as you could possibly be. It says when the centurion, that's a soldier there who's at the foot of the cross, who had got through punching him in the face, who'd got through plucking hair out of his beard, but a crown of thorns on his head. The centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake that happened around. And as it had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. See, when you are a peacemaker, even the worst and vile and most oppressive, even the people who would crucify you would look and go, that's a child of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we can be called children of God, that we can be yours and you can be ours. As we come into a place of communion, let us see there in our hands the price that you as the Prince of Peace paid. And this cup and in this wafer that represents your broken body for us. Move us to you. And as we sit in the reconciliation that has now happened, hopefully between every lost sinner in this room and you, and if it hasn't, God, move them to repentance. Move them to the steps they need to take to put their faith and their trust in you. And as we do, Father, I pray we sing this song where we talk about there not being any shadow you won't light up or mountain you won't climb up or wall you won't kick down or lie you won't tear down, that we then go, because God did that for me, he did not let anything get in the way of pursuing me. I will do the same to bring the peace that I now have to a lost world who is in desperate need. In your name, amen.